If you know me and are friends with me, ever ridden in a car with me, uh, you probably wore a seatbelt and were scared to death. But if you did for a long period of time, you know that my music um, selection is very broad. Um, I, I like music. There were times in my life I, I couldn't listen to certain music. How many of you know music's powerful? Music triggers, music inspires. Um, this whole thing that we talk about as a fall or as a rebellion began with worship in heaven. Um, when Lucifer was filled with pride, exalted himself in his heart, the archangels, the worship leader of heaven, and he wanted to be worshiped instead of worship. And uh, with that, there is a power to music. So I don't want to make lightly about the power of music. You know, there's some sayings out there, music soothes even the savage beast. We see Saul with a detestable evil spirit from the Lord. And David would come in and play the heart and the spirit of the Lord on David's anointed music would drive out the evil spirit that Saul was battling. I mean, there's just countless both biblical, psychological, natural facts that we can look to about the power of music. As the years have gone on, as uh, I've gotten more firm and solid in my walk with the Lord, not that any of us are perfect, uh, I've started to listen again from time to time, pool days, lake days. I'm just, just telling you the truth. I listen to a lot of different music. And uh, this month, we're going to be in a series, not necessarily pop, here's a good way to say it, not necessarily preaching against things in these songs. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the Word in you. You, you know what God is against. And, and, and I don't mind reminding you from time to time, but, but really more looking at some of the things that God would be for, what we can point you to, to do. Anybody knows shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this, but that gets old. That gets boring. Okay, I know. Show me what to do though. Don't tell me where I'm wrong. Show me how to get out of where I'm wrong. So over this next few weeks, we're going to be in a series that I've entitled Playlist. Every week, we're going to change a genre of music. Today, I picked one of my favorites. I just say one of my favorites. I picked Southern Rock. Southern Rock. And um, we're, going to, we're going to let you uh, go on a little ride with us. Not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Let me use some Bible first. Let me use some Bible first for people write me off. Second uh, Corinthians title of this message is playlist southern rock the pressure check this out i think this will relate to us all but we have this treasure what's the treasure he's talking about what's he talking about what 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 did jesus we just got out of a six eight week series the promise jesus said hey i'm gonna leave but I ain't going to leave you bankrupt. I ain't going to leave you broken. I ain't going to leave you with a light bill. <laughs> I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you something better. He's the promise. It's the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul writes this to the church of Corinth. He says, but we have this treasure, this promise from God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God living within us. He's not Jesus, but he's just like Jesus. He's the Allos comforter. We have this treasure in our earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. Oh, Pastor Chad, I'm using the New King James Version again. That's why you saw it in the notes. Pastor Chad got with me about that New Living Translation. He said, you've been on that New Living a while. Here's what it says all of us experience in life. A lot of pressure. We're hard pressed on every side, but yet somehow we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Listen to this statement always caring about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ listen being a Christian is simple being a Christian is simple yeah I believe that yeah I feel that yeah God's turned that light switch on yeah he died for me yeah I'm saved learning about Christianity is very complicated and complex See, because here's what you discover. He died for you, and it's a free gift that you could never earn. He gave you the grace and the faith to believe to be saved. But then you discover because he died for you, you now have to die for him. Here's what this statement says. We always are caring about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, Connor, he was the one crucified. But yet every day, you should be experiencing a crucifixion of yourself 
you should be dying to you. I should be dying to me. Is, is anybody got some stuff in you you know you need to be dying to? Come on, I still do, I ain't there yet. And any one of you in here that thinks he is is wrong. Bible says, let him or her that thinks he stands, thinks she stands, take heed because you're the closest to falling. The Bible says we carry this, this, this treasure in this earthen vessel and we go through life and we're pressed on every side, but somehow it doesn't crush us. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. It's like saying, hey, I don't know what to do, but somehow I'm not overwhelmed by this. I'm persecuted, but hey, even when they're against me, I know he's for me. I've been struck down, but even when they put me down, it didn't destroy me. What didn't kill me ended up making me stronger. Then I discovered it's because I'm always caring about in my body the dying. I'm finishing his suffering. What he came and did, I'm now living. That the life of Jesus may be manifested in my body. For we who live are always delivered to death's sake, for Jesus' sake. All we who are alive are delivered to death. All we like sheep led before the shears. All we just like him, led to the cross. All we who say we're Christian by confession, daily it is a part of Christianity that you are dying for Jesus' sake. For this intention that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in you and shown to the world around you that as you die, he lives. I, I, I see capitulating. Does anybody know what that word means? I'm not trying to be ugly or fancy. I, I, I see surrendering. I see reaching across the aisle. I see calling a truth as I gave in first. I capitulate. I gave in first. I, I backed down. I, I, I was, I guess, the coward. That's how the world says it. Sometimes my pride don't want to reach across the aisle. Sometimes my knowledge that I know I'm right wants to tell you to your face, you're wrong. But in that moment, this thing that I have inside of me says to me, reach across the aisle, be the bigger person. In order to go higher, you got to go lower, die to yourself so that they can see the life of Christ live through you. When, when they see you do something you wouldn't normally and ordinarily do that no other human would do because that's not what we do. This is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. It's I got to get me. The world's boring, selfish, pride, arrogance. I mean, we know how the world's going to respond. All of a sudden, somebody with the nature of God in them lives a different way, exemplifies the fruit of God, shows a glimpse of heaven, and the world goes, I've never seen this before. It's your personal death and his personal life. You're showing the world around you the Savior that died for you and you believe in. It's tough to do. It's tough to do. It, you, know, you know, it's easy when you're not invested. It's easy when you have no attachments. It's easy when you have no history. Like when we went to Rochester and they were in the middle of a 33 person pastoral search, three of them on their staff that did not get the church. I stood up and let everybody plant churches, go wherever they want to do, bless you all, love you, do what you want to do. The church went to 2,500, 3,000. It was easy. People there, they couldn't, it wasn't easy to them. They were invested. They had opinions. They had feelings. They had relationship. So it, it was easy to me. It gets complicated when you're invested. It gets complicated when there's history. It gets complicated when there's feelings, when there's attachments. Am I, am I preaching to the right, right, right people today? I want to talk to you about this pressure. For we who live as Christians are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. If you're a Christian, here's what I want you to get used to. You should be dying to you every day. Your agenda, your schedule, your pride, your ego, your wants, your dreams, your desires, your lusts, your ambitions, your attractions. That's what it means. And it's hard. It's easy to say, oh, they had the temperature right. They had the music right. They had the preaching right. They had the altar call right. Man, I stood up, raised my hand, got saved. Easy. Now walk out of here and go live it. Hard. Hard. 
created a very conducive atmosphere for you to feel safe and comfortable to surrender your life to Jesus. Now walking out there and staying surrendered to Jesus is altogether a different story. If, if you live anything like I live. And the reason God set it up this way is so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested through you, through your flesh, so that the world around you would know that it was him. There's a Southern rock song that I think helps us better understand what the Bible's talking about here. Can you turn that up? Can I borrow your Harley today? <laughs> Can I borrow your Harley? Just, I don't even need a helmet. <laughs> Brooks gonna kill me. I stopped on Louisville this week and test drove one. <laughs> I said, I'm gonna need another motorcycle. I hear Pop Craig is Harley up every Sunday morning riding out. Does everybody know what the words of that says? Ooh, that smell. Can't you smell that smell? Ooh, that smell. The smell of death that surrounds you. How many of you like the VH1? Uh, behind the scenes, behind the music. How many of you like the Netflix, the documentaries? Anybody ever watch one on Leonard Skinner? So these bunch of Southern rock discovered, Southern rock kids from South Alabama and Georgia discovered a sound that hadn't been heard yet. And uh, the leader was very regimented. His name was Randy Van Zant, uh, Ronnie Van Zant. And uh, man, he would take them out to this little cabin in the middle of the Everglades, and he would not let them leave. He made them live there, eat there. I mean, he was like a drill instructor, told them everything they had to do. And they came out with this album, this first album, and it was absolutely amazing. Skyrocketed to the charts, free bird, simple man. Well, fame and stardom happened. You know what came on the, on the heels of that? Concerts, tour buses, after parties, drugs, alcohol. One of the lines of the song says, there's too much coke, there's too much smoke. And, and they made their next album trying to keep up with their contractual demands. And, and what ended up happening, the next album flopped. Went from the greatest Southern rock album anybody ever heard to an album that nobody wanted to even produce and they had to produce it themselves. And so what he did is he hired, Ronnie Van Zant hired a chaplain. I got some friends and I told them, uh, they were telling me some situations with their lives and where they're at. And I said, brother, you're gonna need a chaplain. He said, what's a chaplain? I said, you're going, to need somebody, you're going to need somebody to ride with you 24-7 to keep you straight if you do that. <laughs> so he hired a chaplain to ride with him. He was an old military man, drill instructor. You can watch it. And, uh, he, and, and they let him live a little bit, but they wouldn't let him live much. And, and this song was Ronnie's call song to his, to his band members to not forget what they had been gifted to do and what they were called to do. And he called them out. He put them on blast. And he said, you can't speak a word when you're full of quaaludes. And there's clips of them up on the stage trying to do concerts and they can't even talk. And he's telling them, you're, you're using too much drugs. You're partying too much. You're drinking too much. Can't you smell that smell? And they had been in car wrecks and they had been uh, in, in other altercations and fights and jails. And he says, I can smell it. I can see it. it's the smell of death that surrounds you. Can't you smell that smell? Your life is putting off a smell. Death is imminent. It's coming. And he was using this song to call his band members back, which they did come back. The chaplain got them straight, and they made several more albums and did really well until they started partying again and had an airplane crash and, and took most of uh, two of the band members, three of the band members' lives and some backup singers. Switching back to the Bible very quickly, the, the Bible is a collection of stories, most of which recount events of enormous pressure. Um, I saw somebody this week at the gym, and it was William Perkins, and, and, and he was using the stretch-out bar, him and Gage, and uh, Miss Jennifer's son, he was using the stretch-out bar to stretch his arms, and he's pastor, and I looked, and he was acting like he was Moses, and he grabbed that stretch-out, and he banged it on the floor, and I knew he was, he was reenacting the parting of the waters of the Red Sea. Man, could you imagine being Moses, and here you've got millions of people leading out of Egypt, and now you're confronted with the Red Sea, and you don't know. I mean, there's some pressure in that. You think you got pressure with your light bill, or your car note, or, or your family, or your children. 
The Bible is telling us these stories of enormous pressure, and, and each one of these stories tells us the pressure placed on these men or these women in these stories told to us. And in every one of these instances, we're allowed to see two different aromas emit from the lives of the people who are in the center of the stories. I saw this, this quote this past week, and, and what do we know David to be? We know David to be the giant slayer, that he killed Goliath. And it said, yeah, David, David killed Goliath. The problem was he didn't, he didn't kill Bathsheba. So, so we see in one instance, not literally kill her, kill the desire inside of him for her. We, we see in one instance the pressure of who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defiles the armies of the living God produce a death to self in David that says, I don't, I don't need your armor, Saul. I wasn't cut out for your armor. I don't, I don't have to fight your way. I'm going out here, not in my own name, but in the name of the Lord. And we see David's willingness to die to himself, to put his life on the line so that the life of God can be seen through him. And then in the next instance, we see David now as the king. And at the time of war, when kings go out to war, David stayed behind in Jerusalem and Joab led out the armies to face the Philistines. David should have been on the battlefield, and he's working on the parapet, walking on the parapet, and he sees a woman coming off her menstrual period. She's a beautiful lady. Her name is Bathsheba, and he says, get her, take her for me. I want her to be my wife. And we see David living to his own desires, but yet emitting a putrid smell of stench of death around him. The Bible tells us these stories of all these different men, and in every one of these situations, these different women, we get to see the life of God living or the life of God dying through them. Here's a good one you all may know. Job, Job 13 and 15 tells us the story where Job's under this tremendous pressure. His, his family's been taken, his wealth has been taken, his resources have been taken. And this is what Job stands up and says in the middle of the pressure. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In the pressure, Job emits the fragrance of faith and worship. One of our favorites, because so many of us can identify with him, Peter in the New Testament, he's pressured. He's standing outside the courts while Jesus is being tried and he's surrounding uh, by some men and a little 14-year-old slave girl, and he's warming himself by the fire, and they're saying, you're a Galilean. Your speech gives you away. We know you're one of his followers. And in that moment, Peter begins to curse and begin to swear, I don't even know this man. And another one that I want to share with you is when Jesus is, is on the cross of Calvary, I, I can't think of any human being being under the exertion of any more pressure than that. Here's what we see come out of him, grace and mercy, when he says in Luke 23 and 34, he says, Father, forgive them. They're ignorant. They don't even know what they're doing. If there was ever a time that someone could have been righteously vindicated in saying, get them, God, call fire down from heaven, God, open up the earth and swallow them, God, it was right then. I mean, you think people smoking by the front door is a big deal. This is a big deal. <laughs> this is a big deal. And he didn't say, rah, 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 rah. he said, Father, forgive them. They're lost sheep. They don't even know what they're doing. They're blinded by the God of this world. Have mercy on them, Father. I just love that the Bible's filled with all these different stories that shows us this concept so plainly and so purely. The idea that I'm trying to communicate this morning, convey here this morning, may be best illustrated by another story most of you are familiar with. Mark chapter 14, verse 3 tells us a story. It says, in being in Bethany at the house of Simon, who had once been a leper, as Jesus sat at the table, a woman came in having an alabaster flask. This is Mary of Magdalene, who was a prostitute and whom Jesus has cast out seven evil spirits. And she breaks this alabaster flask, a very costly spikenard oil. This would have been uh, equivalent to one year's wages. And she broke it, the flask. And the Bible says when it began to be poured out, one gospel writer says, and the fragrance of her precious gift, of her pressured life that had now been crushed and broken as she's died and the Lord has begun to live through her. It says it filled the home where they were all at with this aroma. When this woman broke and gave up sacrificially this gift, it released an odor, a sweet smell of the life of God. 
Do you know the scriptures go on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, this, this may help you the most. The scriptures say that every one of our lives is daily emitting a smell. We're, we're going to say this several times be, before the day is over. What's that smell? <laughs> What's that smell? Anybody ever done that? Hold on. <laughs> What's that smell? Huh? Somebody walked in by you point this morning and they said, man, what's that smell? I said, I said, you don't even know how prophetic you are today. Every time, every time you hear that song, ooh, that smell, can't you smell? I want, listen, Tish, I want you to look at Ryan this week when he gets selfish. <laughs> now listen, I, I, I'm telling you, I get hangry now like no other. I mean, I am, I mean, listen. I'm telling you, when my carbs get low, I turn into an animal. Like, I'm looking for the leg of, an, of a giraffe to eat. I mean, like, I get hangry. And I didn't even know I did. And my kids at Finley was like, Dad, you, you're hangry. You need to eat something. <laughs> Here's what I give you permission to do this week. You look at Ryan and say, ooh, that smell. Can't you smell that smell? What's that smell? What's that smell? Is, it, is, is that smell the life of Christ living? Or is that, is that the life of Ryan living? Because they both can't be living at the same time. That smells selfish right there. That, that, that smells prideful. That smells arrogant. Man, that smells like Jesus right there. That smells forgiving. That smells loving. That, that smells patient right there. Baby, I love that smell. Love when you wear that perfume. Love when you wear that cologne. That, that, ooh, that smell. Can't you smell that smell? Back to the scripture. I'm going to get where I'm going today, I promise. You know what? Hit it for me again. Oh, I love this song. Just turn it up loud. I don't know who's running the sound system back there, but that wasn't loud enough. You can't ride with me in my truck. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Through, okay, all right, okay, I see it. I see it. Okay, all right. It's the guitar. That's what gets me. Oh, it's the guitar that gets me. Oh, my God, them boys are some great guitar players. How about Mr. Timmy this morning? Didn't he kill it on the guitar? <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Timmy. Take well. Here's what it says. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge through our lives in every place that we go. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma of death to death and to the other, we're an aroma of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Now, I don't have time to, to, to break down that passage the way that I would really love to. But what Paul says in a later chapter, in a later book to the same church of Corinth, is this same concept that your life should be a fragrance. And, and to one person that's lost and doesn't know the Lord, you smell and look like something. And to someone who's saved and knows the Lord, they recognize what it is that it's you dying in him living. And you are to be that fragrance. You're to be that aroma to the world at all times and all places. The Apostle Paul backs up this teaching by sharing this teaching again and again and again. What an incredible thought that our lives and the way that we live, the Bible tells us, puts off a smell. There's only two smells, life or death. Number one... I want to share a couple of thoughts with you today that I think will help further develop this principle. I'm going to switch over to the book of James. I'm going to use the message translation because the message translation kind of says this the best for us today. N number one, I want you all to be aware of this. Number one, pressure is a normal part of life. There's no life. If, if I tell you, raise your hand, get saved, surrender to Jesus, everything's going to be great. Well, I've just set you up for failure because the moment you walk out of here and you experience pressure, you experience a hard time, you experience opposition, you experience a, a, a trial, 
the first thing you're going to feel is, well, I'm not really saved. God doesn't love me. God did it for them, but he's not doing it for me. Why do they get this life and I don't get this life, so it must not be for me. You're, it's going to lead you to all kinds of other complications and problems. So what we want to do is just treat, teach the Bible. Here, here's what the Bible says. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer because I already lived in this world and I overcame these troubles and I'm going to give you the tools to overcome these troubles as well if you're willing to pick up the hammer and the screwdriver and work with the tools that I'm willing to give you. So therefore, you can overcome as well. Pressure is a normal part of life. Let me just give you a few. Has anybody ever heard of this four-letter word called work? Now, here's something I want you to know. The Bible says and teaches and wise people will tell you if you do something you love to do in life, you'll never work a day in your life. But if you don't do something you love and are called to do, work's going to be tough. Lacing up those boots, putting on those shoes, answering that alarm clock and getting up and going out, it's going to be tough. But even if you love what you do, there is always pressure. There's always strain. There's always tension. Anybody ever heard of this thing we all live by today called calendars or schedules? Anybody in here got relationships or multiple relationships and they're complicated with extended family and immediate family and children and people around us and emotional attachments? Anybody ever heard of opposition? Anybody in here willing to embrace the fact that not everybody likes me? Not everybody likes you? Not everybody supports you? Not everybody thinks like you? Reasons like you? Believes like you? Votes like you? Lives like you? And sometimes that's going to lead you into opposition with other people. Listen to the scripture. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 in the message translation. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Now, <laughs> confession. I, I know I'm not where I used to be, <laughs> but I ain't there yet either. <laughs> I have never woke up, David Albright, and when opposition came my way, jumped up and said, Woohoo, I gotta go face opposition today. <laughs> You know, I mean, maybe I'm going to get there. You know, my good friend, Jonathan Kirkland, where are you at? Jonathan Kirkland, he and I, we all do CrossFit, do the gym, all kind of stuff. And, 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 and one day we were in the gym together and, and man, I was pushing on this machine and it really wasn't that much weight on it back then. And, and I was just grunting. Matter of fact, my, my, my coach now, Jeff, came over to me the other day and he said, now listen, I'm going to work out with you as long as you don't make no sounds. But... Pastor, if you keep grunting and squealing like that, I'm done working out. You don't make no sounds. Don't make no sounds. So then Jennifer walks up the other day and she was like, no squealing, no squealing, no, no, no grunting. I was like, golly, they are on me like white on rice. And Jonathan said to me, said, listen, pastor, it's time under tension that produces strength. See, the truth of the matter is the minute tension opposition gets on any of our lives, what do we all do? Look for the exit, get out of the relationship, quit the job, walk away, hang up the phone, delete the Facebook message, get off the app. We run from it because we don't like the time under opposition. But listen to me, my friend, it's time under opposition that builds strength, that builds endurance, that gives you the ability that next time you're faced with opposition and you're faced with challenge, that you've got the ability in you to deal with it and to deal with it easily, like Joel Osteen, with a big smile on your face. I done been through this before. I got muscles for that now in the spirit realm. It don't bother me when you're nasty, because I'm still going to be nice. It don't bother me when you're unfair. It don't bother me when you're selfish, because I have developed an ability to deal with your inconsistencies. It's time under adverse situations that made me stronger. We all want the life of roses. But serving God is a character, endurance, building process that gives you the ability to live above the fallen world that you live in. You're going to have it. The ladies, they left last night. The leaders did to, to, to go on the beach trip. Raise your hand if you're going on the beach trip this week. Raise your hand if you're going on the beach trip. Thank all of you. Father, I pray they have a wonderful week. I pray they have encounters with God. I pray they enjoy the sunshine. They enjoy the worship. Keep them all safe and get them all home safely in Jesus' name.
But when they went down there last night, the first thing that happened is the vehicle they were hooked up to would not pull the trailer. How many of you know that's true if Rhonda Brown was involved? <laughs> Todd got the blinkers fixed, the windshield wipers fixed. Somebody stole the Cadillac converter over it. We got a new pipe under it. I mean, he did everything he knew to do. They hooked up to that trailer and the vehicle that was about to pull it. <laughs> Lightening the load was never an option with Pastor Rhonda. I promise you that. It was never, we're leaving something behind. It was Charles come home and give me a bigger vehicle. <laughs> right? They started out in opposition. Charles, they said they didn't go to bed till 2 o'clock in the morning getting a big enough truck to pull that trailer. And then, then when they got down there, they had a flat tire. How many of you know there's going to be opposition along the journey in your marriage? There's going to be opposition along the journey of fulfilling your dream. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be betrayal with your friends in starting a business and accomplishing your goals. There's going to be opposition. And if you are so fragile and so weak and so mealy-mouthed and so immature that at the first sign of opposition you fall apart, the Bible says you don't have much strength at all. Here's what the Bible says. If you can't walk with the footmen, how in God's name will you ever run with the chariots? I used to say to Pastor Shane back in the day, oh, Pastor Shane, something happened with a youth, kids, parent over fine arts. And he'd say, how in the world you ever going to handle a board meeting if you can't handle that youth, kids, parent over a fine arts? I said, that ain't what I wanted to hear from you, sucker. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Tough times will come. But, but, but here's what I want you to see. When the tough times come, you know that under pressure, your faith life is being forced into the open so that it shows your true colors. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can never fool all of the people all of the time, what is in you is eventually coming out of you. If you want to know what's in you, you got to get in the crucible of adversity and of opposition so that the opposition pulls something out of you that you didn't know was in you and forces it into the open so you now know there's something in you that is a treasure in an earthen vessel from God. Let me go back. Let me go back. Count it sheer joy, because with God, he's making us. With the world, he's breaking them. One is a fragrance of his life coming to life through you that shows the world around you it's not you it's him the other is God breaking them so that it releases the stench of their death and the world sees their humanity in hopes that they have the revelation that I can't do this without him one brings life one brings death I smell it. I just coached the endless T-ball season. Ooh, that smell. Do I got to go stand out there in that heat again? If that woman on that sideline hollers at me one more time, she does not know who she is messing with. I will go BC before Christ on all of them over there and turn that bleacher over. If these parents holler it like, ooh, that's <laughs> And then my little boy comes up and pulls my leg. He's got like one sock on. Sh pants on backwards <laughs> baseball cap turned sideways dad we playing ball today <laughs> I'm like can we just lose <laughs> can we just lose and be done 
But the thing, here's what would happen. Somewhere between the driveway and the ball field, something would come alive. The Mandy Bond spirit, I'm not putting you on blast, Miss Mandy, but Miss Mandy said to me, she said, you play to win. If you play, you don't go to just play. You play to win. So I'm reading the rules. I'm trying to teach them how to stand on the bag and watch the batter and be in the dugout and be chanting and running the bases smart and listening to the coach and throwing the ball in and we just keep winning. Something would come alive in me that would say, okay, I don't care if it's hot. I, I don't care if there's something else I'd rather be doing. I, I, I don't care if, if, if there's things that I can invest in. You know what? I need to do this for these kids. I need to do this for this team. I need to do this for my little boy. I think we can win this thing. And all of a sudden, where that smell of me wanting to do what I wanted to do would have brought death in my household, all of a sudden, a new smell. And then when it was all over, I, I mean, I didn't even think about it. So win the whole thing. Two years undefeated. Played for Bonco, Jason and Mandy Bond. They taught Brooke and I the ropes. They left us with tall boots to stand in. Okay, you got to go undefeated. We did it. Foster and then won. It was great. Oaks Church, thank you so much for sponsoring T-Ball. We picked up several families through the process. It's all over. I'm minding my own business. We're giving out trophies. We're telling everybody thank you. And I turn around. And this gentleman by the name of Steve Teal walks up to me. And I had glasses on, I had a hat on, and he says, uh, Pastor, would you take your hat off your glass? I took it off. He's, he said, look at me in my eyes. He said, thank you for coaching my granddaughter. Thank you for being a team ball player. I know you had other stuff you could do. You did a good job as a coach. Thank you for investing in these kids. And he handed me an envelope, and he said, here's a gift for your new church. It wouldn't have mattered if it was $10. It wasn't. It wouldn't have mattered if it was $10. What he gave me was something I wasn't looking for that day. And you know what he told me? He smelled a smell that wasn't me. That was Jesus. He, he smelled the smell of the life of Christ doing something for somebody else when it was inconvenient and when it was uncomfortable. Anybody can be selfish. Anybody can be greedy. Anybody can be prideful. Anybody can be egotistical. Anybody can be arrogant. It's in your nature to be that way. It takes the life of Christ to come to be humble, to be patient, to be kind, to be loving, to be sacrificial. And when I, when I got that car, I said, if I didn't do anything else right, I did this right. The purpose of the pressure, according to the Bible, is to produce a personal perfume that scents and smells like heaven. When you get under pressure, what do you smell like? Number two, being pressured releases an odor. What's on the inside of you is coming out of you. Anybody ever stubbed their toe at three o'clock in the morning? Anybody ever stepped on a Lego? Oh my Lord. If you cannot talk in tongues, step on a Lego at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Woo! If you don't have a prayer language, you just need to step on a micro machine like a little F-16 jet with the little missiles on the side. You need to step on one of them things at two o'clock in the morning. Pastor Todd had 13 people living at his house for the last two months, him and Gigi and everybody was in town. And, and I walked in the door one day and he looked at me and I saw the look on his face. It was like, it is a disaster. He just looked at me and I came in real fast and I didn't have no shoes on. As soon as I got to the steps, I stepped on something. <laughs> He said, I told you it's a disaster. I stepped on something. What was on the inside of me? Woo! I wish Bebop Petrus was here. Jason, if you don't come get that dog, I'm afraid Brooke's going to kill her. I may have to bring him to you today. <laughs> My dog, I got a leopard cur that I got in between a business deal between Charles Brown and Jimmy Strong. That dog has chewed up pools, doormats, shoes, 
eBay packages, neighbors' rugs from down the street. I have bought eight doormats in the last week, and he chews up a $2.99 doormat every night. I got to where I go outside at 3 o'clock in the morning to use the bathroom just to see if he chewed the rug up, trying to catch him and whip him with that rug. <laughs> that dog is making what's inside of me come out of me. <laughs> Woo! There's only two options of what can come out of you. Listen, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34. You brood of vipers, how can you be an evil with a fallen nature? Have good things come out of you. Don't you know? It's out of the abundance of the heart, what's really in you, that your mouth starts running and talking. Jesus said, don't you know that you will know? Just give the tree some time. They may tell you they're a peach tree, but eventually you're going to know if they're a grapevine. Just give the tree a little time. Every tree will be known by its fruits. The smell of our own death, when people see you dying to you, being sacrificial, putting kids first, putting responsibility first. Now listen to me. Hold on, time out. You do understand that if you don't take care of you, you will never be able to take care of them. We've been taught this false humility practice that joy means Jesus, others, and then yourself. Listen to me. If you don't take care of yourself, you won't be able to have a relationship with Jesus. If you don't take care of yourself, you won't do nobody else no good. You have to have rest days. You have to have mental wellness. You have to have a spiritual life that is alive. You have to have physical exercise. Your body was created to move, not to sit around and be static. You got to take care of you, but once you take care of you, it's out of you being taken care of that now you can be sacrificial now you can be loving now you can be kind now you can be patient now you can be selfless take care of you and then watch the difference it'll make in you taking care of others when I don't take care of me when I get tired and weary my relationships with other people suffer and they suffer because I'm not taking care of me the smell of our own death when people see us dying to ourselves. It doesn't smell like a stink. It smells like the life of Christ being lived through you, and it attracts other people to you. Just in case you didn't know it, when other people see you making the gestures of Christ in this world, it's a sweet smell to them. Number three, being pressured should release life, not death. Being pressured should release life, not death. Look at verses 13 and 14 in James 15, chapter 1 as well. Don't let anyone under pressure give in to evil and say, well, I guess God's just trying to trip me up. Don't you know God is impervious to all forms of evil and puts evil in no one's way? The temptation to give in to evil comes from you and you only. It's inside of you. You have no one to blame except the leering, seducing flare-ups of your own desires. Lust gets pregnant, desire gets pregnant, and it has baby. And when that baby is born, he's called sin. And when sin grows up into adulthood, it becomes a real killer to everything you really value. When, when, when you're under pressure, there's only two things that can come out of you. There's only two. The old nature. Let me show you what will come out of the old nature. You'll know if you're operating in your flesh. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh, they become manifest. They become evident. Everyone can see them. They're adulteries. They're fornications. They're uncleanness and lewdness and idolatry and sorcery and hatred, contentions, jealousy. Check this one out. You ready for this? Outburst of wrath. Selfish ambitions. Sam Chan told me this in a leadership meeting two months ago. He said, Pastor, I've seen pastors, I've seen leaders come back from everything under the sun, affairs, embezzlement. I've seen them come back from everything except mistreating people. When you mistreat people, you never come back from that. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, partying, and all of the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, those who practice such things are not inheriting the kingdom of God. Here's what comes out of the new nature. But when the new nature gets under pressure, all of a sudden it starts getting squeezed. It starts getting pushed. And all of a sudden, 
love, which is unconditional, joy, peace, being patient and long-suffering, being kind to people when it was easier to be nasty to people, showing goodness, being faithful, being gentle, using self-control. Against none of these things is there a law. And those who are Christ, listen to this, have crucified. They died of their own flesh daily with the passions and the desires that are lurking inside of them. The necessity of this teaching, they're going to throw this on the screen, is easy to see in others. I guarantee you sitting here today, you're going, I hope she's listening. I remember when she had a bad attitude. I remember when she was nasty. Listen, it's easy to see this in others. It's hard to accept in ourselves. It's hard to accept. You do know I'm preaching to me. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm under the most pressure I've ever been. My life looks different than it's ever looked, but I'm under the most pressure I've ever been in in my life. So, so with that, with that, when I'm squeezed, what's coming out? That's important. When you're squeezed, what's coming out? Pickle juice? <laughs> Don't nobody want that. The necessity of this teaching is easy to see in others, hard to accept in ourselves, and even harder to address in our own lives. One more time, Maestro. I'm going to go listen to that. As soon as y'all leave, I shake your hands, hug you, and I'm going to turn that up. And you know I got humps in my truck, so I'll be back there bumping. Pressure is a part of everyday life for every human being in here. Not everyone is aware that pressure emits something out of our lives. And I work long and hard on this. Listen to me. Not everyone is first aware that pressure is normal. Secondly, not everyone's aware that pressure is emitting something from your life. And thirdly, listen to me, very few people are aware what comes out of you says more about you than the situation you're in. A harsh tongue reveals an angry heart. When you get under the squeeze and you get raw, it says more about what's in your heart than it does about more than the situation you're in. A negative tongue, critical, cynical, cutting, demeaning, reveres that inside of you there's an inadequacy and you're fearful. A boasting tongue, I conquered the world, the me monster, I did everything, I did it bigger than you, better than you, stronger than you, longer than you, reveres an insecure heart. An overactive tongue reveals an unsettled heart. A judgmental tongue reveals a guilty heart. When I find people always pointing the finger at other people, it tells me more about what's going on in them than it does about the people they're pointing at. A critical tongue of other people reveals a bitter heart. Number one, pressure's coming. Number two, it's going to produce a smell. Number three, remember what comes out of you says more about you than the circumstances or the situations you're in. I think it's only fitting to end with the same place we started today because there's so much truth in this passage and there's so much hope. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-11 through 11 says this, But we have this treasure hid down in this earthen vessel that the excellency of the power that comes through our lives may never be confused that it's from us, but that it's only from God. So we are hard-pressed on every side, but yet we are never crushed. We are perplexed, but we're never in despair. We're persecuted, but we've never been forsaken. We're struck down, but we have not one time been destroyed. Because we always go about carrying in our bodies the death of the Lord Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus may be manifested through our lives and through this mortal body. For we who 
live are always delivered over to pressured situations so that when we're crushed, he lives. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested through our lives for the world to see. It's not realistic to say I'm going to live without the crushing. The crushing was designed by the master so that it kills you and glorifies him. Well, I don't like it. I don't either. Well, it's uncomfortable. Did he call you to be comfortable? Comfort's the enemy of all progress. We should have stayed in Egypt. They had leeks and fire pots to eat from. But they didn't tell you. You were going to bake bricks more than you could bake in a day and be whipped by the tails of cruel taskmasters. Oh, it'd be better to be a heroine. Oh, it'd be better to still be lost. Oh, it'd be better to still be in my sin. Oh, it'd be better to still out there in the world. Yeah, right. I'd rather be single. <laughs> I can't handle it no more. <laughs> Had a buddy other day he gonna kill me if I say his name so I ain't gonna do it he don't go to church here he called me he said hey man what you doing it's about three o'clock one afternoon I said I'm getting ready to go home he said you want to go play nine holes of golf at Bayou Desert I'll pay I said yeah man I don't have nothing to do this afternoon no ball game I'll turn around and head back town so I called Brooke I got off Shinny X I said I'm headed back to town I'm gonna go play golf with my buddy by the time my phone rang he said hey man I said, yeah, what's that? He said, I can't go. I said, that's all right. I'll just get off at Whale Road, turn around and go. So I got off at Whale Road, started going back home. He said, uh, it's my daughter's birthday. I think my wife would be mad if I, if I went. And so I got off at Whale Road and I started going back. My phone rang again. He said, you know what? I'm going. I got time. So I said, I just get off at Shinny City. I just do it. I said, man, if the cops are watching me, they're going to think I'm drunk driving. I just keep going to Shinny and getting off at Whale. So finally, I decided for him, hand on the Bible. I'm not usually the one to make the best decision. I said, man, why don't you just go home? I, so I got home, my phone rang again. He said, uh, hey man, he said, I just want to let you know I was here with, I ain't gonna say his wife's name, y'all figure it out. He said, I'm sorry I left you in Foster over at the driving range. I was like, what? He said, I'm sorry I invited you to play golf and I couldn't go. I was at home. I didn't know what he was talking about. And then I heard his wife in the background say, John, are you and Foster really at the driving range? And I was like, oh, he's guilt tripping her. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we over here at the driver. She said, David, I can't. Oh, my God. <laughs> she said, I can't believe you did that to me. Go on and go play golf. He, he didn't go. I didn't go. <sighs> he stayed home for his daughter's birthday. You know, I know, he, I know he wanted to go, but in that moment, he needed to do something else, right? He needed to die. Christ needed to live. His wife needed to see that in, in that moment. I don't know where those situations are in your life. I, I, I don't know exactly where that fits. You know where that fits in you.